Welcome to the Orion Podcast, hosted by Jessa and Laurel of A Stellar Co., a podcast that connects you with the knowledge and resources you need to drive a more conscious form of capitalism. Orion starts now. Hey, Laurel. Hey, Jessa. Would like to introduce our guest today? Yes. I'm sorry. My dog is whining down here. We have Hillary Kearney from Girl Next Door Honey. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Hillary and I know each other through a mutual friend. We've done our uh, Baja camping extravaganza together. <laughs> We've been to concerts together. You know, life in San Diego. It's It's happening. <laughs> and we, um, I've been an admirer of your business for a while because you are a self-starter, entrepreneur, business owner. You do things your way, and that's what we like at Estellarco. And um, we asked you to come on board just to talk about yourself and hopefully inspire our audience who probably doesn't, probably has a mixed understanding of what beekeeping is and how you all got started. So with that, how about you share with us what you were doing in life before beekeeping, which is very different, but also mm-hmm. it's also related. And then how, like, what is the story of, all right, I'm doing this. I'm becoming a beekeeper. Um, okay. So I was in school. I, I went to UC Santa Cruz and I was studying fine art And I was kind of feeling, to be honest, I was kind of feeling like, I didn't know if I wanted to commit to just doing art because I had these other interests. Like I really liked writing. I really liked nature and I like being outside. And so one thing I didn't like about art was like you're inside and and sometimes it feels kind of like pointless. Like you make this piece of art and you really like it, but it's, what does it do? Um, (laughs) So I... I don't know. I I was kind of unsatisfied with that path, but I hadn't really figured it out yet. And I was in some writing classes at at the time. And I just kind of stumbled upon this book because my now husband had a bucket list. He had taken an entomology class and we went to college together and he had beekeeping on this bucket list because his entomology teacher was a beekeeper. Mm -hmm. And so I I bought him a book and um, then I read it and I just like, I was like, whoa, bees are so cool. Um, So I just started reading more about them. I ended up writing some papers on, on beekeeping or on bees really. And then um, I just kind of, I moved back to San Diego and it was like that period after college where you're like lost. What do I do? I ended up in an office job. Um, I would book travel for software trainers and schedule appointments and stuff like that. And I, I hated it. <laughs> I hated being inside all day. I felt like my soul was dying. Yeah. Um, and I was so grumpy. Like, um, I remember somebody, I was at a party, a work party. And one of my coworkers was like, who is this woman? Like, I haven't seen her before. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm really, really miserable. (laughs) I don't know who my true self is. Um, So anyway, I, I was trying to do anything to like escape from the office job. So I was, I was doing gardening and I was like volunteering with these gardening groups and hoping it would turn into some kind of job. And then um, at the same time, I was like, I should just get bees because I was living with my dad and he had this really big yard 
And I just said, Hey dad, can I get bees? <laughs> and for some reason he like, didn't even question it. He was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I was like, here's some, here's some free plans, like how to build a hive. Can you, can you make this hive? And so he built some, he built me a hive out of, of like scrap wood that we just had. And I was watching all these YouTube videos and just like researching like crazy. And I just like put an ad on Craigslist saying like, Hey, if you have a swarm of bees, I will, I will come get them. Um, you're, like, you're like the ultimate science fair project with your dad. Yeah, like, yeah, it was you good. Really took off. <laughs> That's so cool. It was really weird because when I wanted to get chickens, you know, he was all like, I don't know. I'm like, well, you didn't <laughs> bat an eye about getting bees, but like getting chickens is a big deal. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I just, I just kind of like jumped into it and then it, um, you know, it was a hobby, but it just snowballed like fairly quickly. I, I want to say like year two was when people started asking me for things. They would be like, oh, can you um, can you teach a class to our garden group? Or can you visit my kid's classroom? Or can you put bees in my yard? And um, can you do this? You know, I started doing bee rescues like right away because that was the first thing I did. And so then it's like once you once people find out you're a beekeeper, like everybody everybody calls you, <laughs> you know, they're like, I know someone who has bees who has a problem with bees or like, I know someone who needs honey or so just like word of mouth kind of got around. And, um, my friend who had a landscaping business and he was just like, you need to make this a business. <laughs> and I was kind of like, yeah, maybe people would pay me to do this. So is that um, year one, year one was more like the bee rescue. Yeah. Um, year one was like bee rescues, trying to figure out how to be a beekeeper. And honestly, that was year two as well. But then somewhere around year two was when people were like, can you teach, um, mm. teach this? And that was kind of the turning point for me because I, I did a free class and, um, it was for a little garden group, like a meetup garden group. And it was in my dad's living room <laughs> and like 30 people said they wanted to come. And then only like five people showed up ah. and there was a waiting list. There was a waiting list of like 25 people on top of the 30 that said they would come. And so, um, after I did the class, like they were like, everyone loved the class that was there. Could you do it again? Cause like a lot of people didn't get to go. So we did it again. And the same thing happened again, where like nobody came, but all these people said they wanted to come. So then I said to the organizer, I was like, if we're going to do this again, I think we need to charge just to make people accountable. Um, yep. That was kind of like the, the moment that I started charging for classes. It wasn't even really to be a business. It was just because people were being so flaky, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I started doing them every month because they were so popular and everyone wanted to come. So I've actually been doing that class almost every month since that second year. And that was in um, 2012. Yeah. I, I mean, just to clarify and give our listeners a little bit of context as well. I mean, right now you have over 81,000 Instagram followers, been interviewed on NPR. You have an article in Vogue. And now on Orion. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. To, you've really arrived. <laughs> It's like that. It sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it, it, well, it really does. And and your whole story that you just told was that your business sort of organically happened. So my question was, was it planned to have this level of a profitable, successful business, or did it just happen organically? 
It was all, it was all very organic because, um, yeah, I didn't have any, I didn't have any experience or like I had never taken a business class. I'm, I'm just like a creative person, but I'm also very intuitive. Um, so I feel like that has been what really helped me succeed is I was able to see people's needs and go there with what I had to offer and also being a good teacher and communicator and having that art background, I think really helped because I was able to stand out from what was there. So there wasn't really anyone doing what I do now. Um, even in other parts of the country, I could only find like one or two people. So this was really kind of a new type of business. There wasn't really a model to follow. And I, I wasn't able to like have a mentor or anything like that. And I wasn't able to like just copy someone else's business from somewhere else. So I was really having to like just roll with it and, and make it up as I went, which in some ways is good, but it's also hard because then you're, you know, it makes you a leader, which is cool. Um, but then, it, you know, yeah. you're having to figure everything out yourself and then everyone just copies you, which kind of sucks. <laughs> You, you know, you, there's a word that you mentioned that stood out really strongly to me. And that's like, you have this intuition. Um, Jess and I attended your queen spotting, uh, book reading and signing event over here in ocean beach. And you told a story about how this intuition led you to sort of feel the magic of bees. Can you share a little bit or maybe a couple examples when you felt that magic of bees and what that intuition is for you? Uh, yeah. So it's kind of funny. It makes me go crazy telling these stories, but like one of the most, (laughs) one of the most common things that happens to me, I have beehives like all over San Diego and, um, they're all these like, you know, two, three hives in this place, five, 10, six hives in this place, but they're all these different locations. And so, um, you know, sometimes I'll have like a plan in my head, kind of like, I'm going to go to these locations today and, and check those bees, but I'll be driving sometimes and I'll just like get a feeling that I should go to a different location. I'll be like, I just feel like I need to go check these bees instead. And I'll just, I'll go. And then something will be happening. Like, it'll be like, oh, good thing I came because they're getting attacked by ants or they're about to swarm or, you know, something's happening and they have a bunch of honey or, you know, um, there's, so that's happened to me like on multiple occasions. So I do often kind of let that intuition guide me. Um, and that's also true with beekeeping. Like when you're in the hive and you're often faced with these decisions, like, what do I do now for these bees? And I, I just kind of like listen to that voice, but there's been some other like more like weird things that have happened. Like, um, I guess because I've had these intuitive experiences with the bees that felt like this kind of weird psychic thing. Um, I, I think the most recent one was last year. I, um, had gotten a call from one of my, my clients who has a hive in her backyard that I take care of. And she called me in the morning and said, there's a swarm in my tree. Can you come and, and capture them? Cause I want a second hive anyway. And it's great. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Like, let me get there as soon as I can. And the thing about swarms is they're, they're like transient. So they can leave at any time. Um, so it's always a rush to get there. So I'm driving on the way there and I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to psychically tell these bees, like, 
don't go anywhere because <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming to get you. I'm going to give you a home. So I'm like trying to like psychically connect with these bees. I really don't want them to leave. So I'm like sending these messages. And I felt this like, I felt this weird feeling in my chest where I felt like this kind of concentrated like vibration that then like broke into like little pieces and kind of went like this. It was so weird. It was like, it felt like the bees were in my chest or something. And I was like, okay, I think they heard me. And so then I got there and um, they were still there. And I was like, sweet, but I'm not kidding. Within like five minutes of arriving to this backyard, another swarm came and landed in the yard. So there was like this huge cloud and they all came and landed in like the next tree over. I was like, was it that form that was telling me like, Hey, we're coming. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's not from, it's not even from my hives. It was from, it came from over the fence, like some other bees. So I don't know. Weird stuff like that has happened. <laughs> you have like Macaulay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bee whisper. So when you capture a swarm, like what does it mean to, to do that? Like how many do you capture? Um, so the swarms can be different sizes. So I always use like sports equipment to like help people understand, like I'll ask customers that call me, I'm like, is it the size of a basketball or is it a football? Like, is it a softball? Um, so usually like a softball would be really small. Mm -hmm. Uh, Football is probably average. And then a basketball would be like big and bigger than a basketball is really big. Um, and I saw one bigger than a basketball. That's why I'm thinking. I was walking outside. I'm like, where I, I should have like, I knew, I knew who you were. So I, sh- I didn't even think about it, but I was outside like my house last week and of like, and I wasn't feeling well, my throat hurt. And I'm like, oh no, I have COVID. And then I walk outside and I walk through a, I mean, a swarm, like what I would call a swarm. I don't know if I'm using that term of bees and I didn't see them, but I heard them. Mm-hmm. And I look around and I'm in the middle of it. I was like, oh my gosh. And I'm like walking my dog and I just walked out of it. And then I, but I had this like sense of, and I know like, I'm not supposed to be afraid, but I just had this sense of like, like, oh, the end of the world is very dramatic. <laughs> <Two minutes. laughs> but, but that's why they were, it wasn't dense. It was like really spread out, but it's almost like they were around somewhere and they got disturbed. And then it was just, I mean, everywhere. Did, did it feel like chaos or was it organized? I don't know. It felt I think it felt chaotic because I wasn't in charge. (laughs) (laughs) I call it organized chaos when they're swarming like that. One thing that's super cool is if you ever get the chance again to see that when they're flying. So what you saw was a swarm that was flying Mm. going from one place to another. When they land, they'll form like a cluster. And that's when the size, um, that's when you can tell how big they're. When they're in the air like that, you you cannot tell how big they are. I mean, yeah, in my mind, it's like a million. That's like the biggest amount of bees ever. Super loud. It looks crazy. But actually, like, they're just traveling. They're not trying to sting you or anything. The only way you get stuck. Yeah, walk right through them and nothing happens. If you flip out and you start swatting at them or they get caught in your hair or your shirt or whatever, that's how you can get stung. But if they're, when they're swarming, they're not aggressive. But, um, actually, like, if you can look at them, there's like a pattern to their flight and it's like a, um, like a double helix or like a, um, like a chain link fence or something. And you can see these kind of diamonds. Um, so they are, there's no research about it. I keep looking for it, but they are flying in some kind of pattern, I think to avoid colliding with each other. 
Um, oh. I feel like bees are like, I mean, I'm just saying about like the hives and stuff or like the honeycombs, like they, they seem very like, uh, was it, I'm thinking like the design of biomimicry and yeah, like, yeah. They use, um, their cells are hexagonal, but actually when mm-hmm. they build them, they're, they're a circle and then, um, they're like warm wax. And then when they cool, it pulls it into that hexagonal shape. Oh, interesting. That, and so why are they traveling? Do bees travel often? or <laughs> they, like, What's up with the travel? So in the spring, when you have these existing beehives, they're very they get very big and there's lots of bees in there and they have all this honey and they're, they're getting like crowded. Um, and so what they do is they split in two and half of them leave to go establish a new nest. So it's how they propagate the species. It's how they establish a new nesting site. So when they're traveling, they're looking, they're basically looking for a place to live. Got it. I mean, that makes sense. So they're not, they're not like out there trying to attack. No. They're, and so they were strictly coming for me and my dog. So like Jess is out. We got to go for her. <laughs> <laughs> End of the world. That's what I felt like. The news really sucks at reporting about bees because they always say like swarm of bees attacked firefighters. And that word is really a biological like event in the beehive. It's And the news is kind of using it as a way to describe any group of bees. So those are really kind of like two different things. And it makes it confusing for everyone. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate you clarifying the language. Um, and Jessa, were you going to ask a question? Because I've got a good one. Okay. my So our podcast is Why Do We Care About Bees? And I'm sure you're going to tell us that. But also, like, who resists this beekeeping movement? Are there people that are like, I'm getting rid of all the bees. I'm murdering the bees. I don't, I'm scared of them. I don't want them around. And I don't want to support a healthy bee ecology. And why? why do they think that way? Um, yes, there are people like that. There are some people who are just very scared. Um, some of them have a phobia or have had a bad experience in the past where they were stung or attacked. And then there's some people who have allergies or, or have a child with allergies, I would say would probably be the most, um, sensitive, Um, and so, yeah, there are some people like that who are just very scared of bees. They don't, the idea of someone keeping bees near them is really scary to them. Um, and then there's people who just like, don't know anything. Most people don't know anything about bees, but there's people who really don't know anything about bees, even that they're not, you know, they don't even know they're important. And, um, they just, I think humans in general kind of have this, like, this is inconvenient. So I'm going to kill it, (laughs) you know, or I'm going to get rid of it. Um, and so that's kind of like the attitude that people have about bees sometimes. And so why are they so important? Basically, they're holding up our whole ecology. So 80% hmm. of the plants on earth flower <laughs> and require pollination to reproduce. Um, so that means they need an animal to move. I would say to the kids, like, can the plant just grow legs and go give its pollen to another plant? And they're like, no, it's like, okay, no, they need um, an animal to move the pollen for them. That's what pollinators are. Bees are our number one pollinators. Um, and so 80% of the plants rely on some kind of pollinator to 
make them reproduce. So if we lose bees, we could lose a significant amount of our plants. And more specifically, honeybees, this is all bees, there's like 20,000 different kinds of bees. Um, but honeybees are one of our best pollinators, and we use them specifically in agriculture. So in addition to just general ecology, all the plants that we have, um, specifically the food that we grow, a lot of it is heavily reliant on pollination from honeybees. And so when you have like a squash flower, it's not going to turn into a squash unless it, unless it gets pollinated. So you just touched on something that I was thinking about asking you and is about the type of bees, like when you're talking about like what type. And as part of that is I just saw on Instagram yesterday, a rival podcast with, I assume as a rival beekeeper, I'm being dramatic. <laughs> Um, they were talking about how she's like, everyone's talking about honeybees. It's not just honeybees. Like it's not just pollinators. We have to worry about all the bees. And so I was wondering if from your perspective, if there, it sounds like there's a focus on honeybees because of the importance of the pollinators, but I was wondering if you work with all types of bees and what that looks like from your perspective. Um, so I, I'm, I've definitely been one of the louder pioneer voices as far as beekeeping people go in terms of trying to encourage people to be aware of other types of bees. Um, I like to think of honeybees as like a gateway bug for people. And then I can use that to get them interested in other kinds of bees. And then I can use that to get them interested in other kinds of bugs and other kinds of pollinators. So that's kind of where I'm, where I'm going. Um, it is true. Honeybees get a lot of attention. A lot of people don't know that there are other kinds of bees. Honeybees have beekeepers to take care of them. And because they're so a part of our food system, there's basically, there's no chance they're going to go extinct. Like we're keeping them alive. It doesn't mean there aren't problems. Um, it doesn't mean we're not struggling as beekeepers to keep our bees alive. Um, but it, we, they have a network of protectors working for them. And the other types of bees do not have that. And there's a lack of research and there's a lack of funding and there's a lack of awareness that goes with that. And so there is this little movement of people trying to make, bring more awareness to that. Um, so like honeybees are from Europe, for example, and they were brought here in the 1600s. So they're, they're naturalized and they're very much a part of everything but there are all these native species that were already here that are connected with all these native plants that we need to have a healthy ecosystem. So there are certain types of bees that they're the only pollinators of this one native plant. And then there are all these other things that depend on that native plant. Like, oh, if we don't have this native plant, then this lizard goes extinct or whatever, whatever. Um, so the, the bees are holding up this whole ecosystem. And so when we start to lose these native bee species, we start to lose all these other native species, basically. And so you keep more than just the honeybees or do you, like what? You can't keep um, the mm. other. So honeybees are, are really the only bees that you can keep. Um, there are, there are some tropical bees that are called stingless bees that also live in colonies and make honey. Um, and you get, you, you have those in places like parts of Mexico, they're in Australia, Asia, but we don't have them here. Um, so we don't really have any native species here that you can keep in the same way that you keep honeybees, but you can do things to support them. I always tell people to plant native plants um, in Costco right now, everyone's buying those little bee houses with the little tubes in them. 
those are for native bees. Um, those are cool, but if you don't have the native plants already in place, like if you don't have food for those bees, they're mm-hmm. not going to come. You're just going to get spiders in your little bee house. <laughs> Most <laughs> likely. So I, the first step is really to plant for them. And then you can try and set up a little bee house or do other things. What, what should I plant? I've got space and OB. Um, so the Xerces Society is a really cool nonprofit that I always refer people to because they have these planting guides for, for native pollinators. So they have one for California where it'll list out like all the plants. And then the other cool thing it has is a, um, it tells you when they bloom. So when you're planting your pollinator garden, you want to try and plant things that are always blooming. So you, you have it timed like, okay, these are my spring plants. And then I have summer and winter. And so you have a, always something blooming for the bees in there. Um, but like just an easy thing to plant would be sunflowers. Cause a okay. lot of the bees will, will go to sunflowers. Um, you just want to try and plant like a large area of the same type of flower. So a big row of sunflowers or a big patch of sunflowers um, really helps. That's good to know. Okay. Big patch of sunflowers. Well, I don't want you to give away all of your information that you teach in your courses because it's my understanding that your business model is based on selling uh, services like the coursework and the um, beekeeping and coming and rescuing hives. And then you also have products like books and games. How does that business model of selling those services and products differ from other beekeeping business models? Um, yeah. So I kind of mentioned that, like, I was one of the first ones to start doing this model. So traditionally beekeepers made their money by selling honey, which was kind of a byproduct of getting paid for pollination work. So basically they have like hundreds or even thousands of hives, um, that they are moving on semis either between parts of the same state or between states or sometimes all the way around the country, um, where they are contracted with uh, farmers and they're getting paid per colony to bring these bees there for a short period of time, whatever the bloom period is for whatever that farmer's growing. Um, I've never thought about that. Yeah. So there are still beekeepers that do that. We call them commercial beekeepers or migratory beekeepers. And then some of those beekeepers um, also sell bees. So they would sell starter colonies um, and that's become a kind of, bigger business because there's been a boom in hobbyist beekeepers and they need to buy bees. So there are some people who just sell bees and they sell, um, queen bees. There's queen breeders that just sell queen bees and that's their whole business. So those are kind of more traditional models. And then like traditionally, cause a lot of people don't care about beekeeping. <laughs> beekeepers are all like desperate to have somebody to listen to them talk about bees. So they would like <laughs> teach mentor people and teach them for free. Um, and so I kind of came around and was like, this shouldn't be free. And especially not now that like, this is a, such a huge demand, like the, the amount of new beekeepers compared to experienced beekeepers is a huge imbalance. Um, so I started, I kind of started teaching and charging for that and doing like one-on-one services with people where I mentor them. And then also maintenance programs where like, if someone doesn't want to be a beekeeper, but they just want the bees, um, I set it up in their yard and then I take care of it for them. 
Um, and then I was still doing bee removal, still doing kids classes. <laughs> um, then I started doing public tours just for education and to do something fun. Like you get in a bee suit and you go into hives with me and you get to learn all about bees and like actually experience them and take your, your bee suit selfies and taste honey. Um, I started doing that and those have been really popular until we had to put them on hold because of COVID. Um, and then, um, the whole like web shop where I make things has been kind of a sidetrack that was really driven by like my need to be creative, I think, and make things. Um, so I, through like the teaching experience I've, I've had, I, I just became inspired, like, oh, I really wish I had this as like something to help me teach. Um, and so I would make something for myself and then I would be like, there's gotta be other beekeepers that want this. Um, so like an example of that is these like poster sets. I, I take pictures all the time. I'm like obsessively photographing bees basically awesome. every day. <laughs> yeah. So I, I blew up some of those pictures and I turned them into resources for other beekeepers to teach with. And I put like outlines on the back so you can kind of structure your talks. Um, then I made a kid's game because I kind of came up with this kid's game while teaching kids. Um, so I made it available to other beekeepers. And then I had an idea for a book. Um, and so I reached out to publishers and got, got a book made. And then <laughs> oh, I, book. I, just, I just made a book. And then I got another one made. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I just finished um, making a new game, which I'm really excited about because that's going along what I was saying earlier. It's, it's trying to get people hooked on other types of bugs, not just bees, and trying to expand their consciousness about other kinds of pollinators um, that's called pollinator popcorn. It's going to be like, it's a card game. It's going to be a trivia game. Um, and so I'm having that printed right now. That's so awesome. That's cool. And so, so I think like my business was, is different from the traditional. And then now there's a lot of businesses that are the same as mine that follow that same model. But what still sets me apart really is having that, that creative drive to make things, to make resources for other beekeepers. So I think yeah. that is one of the things that keeps me unique among the group of people who are doing what I do. Yeah. I would recommend everyone go to girlnextdoorhoney.com and look because, um, you do all your own artwork, <laughs> yeah. your own graphic design, your own photography, all of that. Right. Yes. With the exception of my, my latest book has watercolor in it. That's not mine. Okay. Uh, I think I probably would have lost my mind if I had tried to write the book and do the watercolor. I wrote the book in six months. So we did, it was a really quick like turnaround on that, but it, the watercolors are beautiful. And, and I got to tell her exactly what I wanted. So that was cool. Yes. I mean, I have both of them. Um, Jessa, you were going to ask a question. So while you're asking, I'm going to grab my, my books. <laughs> Show and tell. Yeah. All right. Well, I was going to ask, um, and this kind of is like a little bit from Laurel and I, our background in environmental consulting is if you ever do consulting or if you're asked to do consulting on like restoration or pollinator projects. I haven't really been approached too much about that. Um, in some like very informal ways only, um, you know, people don't usually like to, what I have to say <laughs> about that. You know, like I think I was <laughs> I was approached by some builders in Encinitas like a few years ago and they wanted to like 
have bees in this huge shopping complex they were building or something. Um, and, and like, I was like, well, you guys are really close to all the flower fields and those are all filled with poison. So I just don't know if we could keep bees alive here. Um, so there, you know, so some people have a lot of misconceptions about what it actually means to have bees and support bees. And they're not always willing to like make the recommended changes to make that happen. Yeah. Is there a controversy then with the flower fields and bees? I mean, I'm not a fan because the traditionally like flower growers are very heavy pesticide users. There are, there is a movement of like organic flower growers and like smaller flower growers that are doing bee friendly gardening, you know, farming. Mm -hmm. Um, But like these, those big fields are like pretty laden with pesticides and, you know, I've, people will say like, oh, well, it's a it's a pollenless variety or it's a nectarless variety or whatever. But regardless, it's going into the soil and the soil is where a lot of bees nest. So they're they are getting exposed that way. So even if they're not actually going to the flowers, um, it's still having an impact. That's too bad. Yeah, I mean, they look like uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with our area, we've got the flower fields out here that are just so beautiful to take a look at, but now you've ruined it, Hillary. I know. <laughs> I, wish they were, I, wish, I wish they changed their ways. Yes. Well, I love that though. So Jess and I come from a background in environmental consulting and ecological design. And the people that we work with are, I mean, they're PhD ecologists. And so they understand you pull one string and it has all these cascading effects and I know I need the right bee and the right pollinator with the right native plant to do the right thing in the right spot. And they know how to design these masterful um, landscapes to have functional, like biological functions and values, not just be- a beautified landscape. And I think to Justice's point, I'd highly recommend for you environmental consultants out there looking for um, a you know, be expert to come complement your restoration planning efforts. I would recommend you getting in touch with Hillary because I'm not quite sure anyone would know more than her. <laughs> and if you want to have, uh, if you want to meet your mitigation ratios and your plant success metrics, then you should probably engage a beekeeper or at least an entomologist that knows how to keep those things thriving. And probably like, I guess this is my next question. Do bees require a lot of water to thrive or are they water efficient? So would they like support landscaping efforts or would, would having bees mean you need to water more? Um, so they're, they, they're like any animal where they, they do need water, but it's not like a huge amount. Honeybees are a little different because they're living in that colony. So they do collect a large amount of water, but the solitary bees, you know, it's just them. So they just need enough water for them to survive, which they can probably get from like dew in the morning or something like, like an irrigation drip. Um, but like honeybees, like when you're setting up a beehive, we usually recommend to set up a water source for them. Cause they, they will go to like pools and become a problem. Um, but yeah, I don't think I read a really interesting, um, study actually about bees in the Sonoran desert and because they're tunneling underground, they're actually, their tunnels help, um, bring more water deeper into the soil. So they are actually like a positive, uh, water force in the, in the deserts. Don't you love that? It's like the micro, micro impact has this scalable influence. 
Yeah. And like that whole idea of like understanding, like we do one thing and it affects everything and everything's connected. Like that's where I ultimately want to get with the people that are following me. Like, I feel like I'm just taking it one step at a time, (laughs) but I'm trying to get everyone to that place of understanding, like, you know, one like striking example to me is like bumblebees. Bumblebees are super lovable. We love bumblebees. They're so cute. Um, They're very much in decline. They're very much in trouble right now. And they need nesting sites is one of the things that they need. Um, And they nest in, in usually old rodent burrows underground. And so if you're eliminating all the rodents all the time, then there's no burrows for the bumblebees. Um, So, you you know, so it's like calling exterminators all the time to like kill all the rats in your yard. It could be hurting bumblebees. Dang it. I know. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's the truth. It's nothing that any of us does, but affects us all. So you you mentioned that you're taking like steps towards a more collective consciousness about, about bees and the interconnectedness of, of ecology. So what is your vision for Girl Next Door, honey? Are you going to stay Girl Next Door size? Like just you? Do you want to expand? What do you, what do you want? Uh, it's it's really hard to know. I always, I feel like I've been at that crossroad for like a long time. And on the one hand, like, man, I wish I had a business partner to like help carry the load. I wish, you know, I wish I had employees. And there are people who do, who have my business model, who've only been doing it for two years and they have a team of like 10 people working for them. Um, and I'm like, how did they do that? You know, and everybody looks at me and she's so successful. I'm like, but I don't have, I don't have any employees. Um, you know, um, so for me, I've been, I've been like burned with having interns that were bad. Um, and I, and I've had like other business owners like warn me and kind of scare me about scaling up. And I've seen other businesses collapse because they went too big, too fast, um, so I'm kind of in the like slow and steady wins the race mode. Um, but I am also at the point where I'm about to have a baby. So I think I'm going to have to have a reality check here because <laughs> <laughs> I, I do so much and like, I need to learn to delegate. Um, so I did just, um, hire someone to help me cause I'm like physically unable to do things, um, right now, a lot of things, um, but it's weird because, you know, we're kind of in that period where we're trying to work out how do we organize this. And I'm like, man, it, I can't just tell him to like, you know, when you're driving in your car, if you get a feeling, change directions and go to this other <laughs> B yard, you know, like you just can't, you can't like expect that of somebody else. So, um, you know, in some ways I, I feel like I feel good that I have stayed small, um, but in other ways, like I'm jealous of people who have more, more of an infrastructure, but that's not really, I don't know if that's my strong point yet. I'm not sure how I am at managing people. And so I'm kind of just like dipping my toe in and feeling it out. Mm-hmm. What I would really like is to have a business partner who is my opposite, <laughs> who has like the opposite skills that I have, because uh, in the beginning, they're not in the beginning, but kind of in like at some, like maybe four years ago or something, I met, I had an intern who worked with me really closely for like a full year and, you know, beekeeping her wasn't her strong point. She was still like a beginner technically, but she was just very organized and, 
um, had all these like skills that I didn't have, <laughs> but she still understood like the creativity and we just worked really well together. And I'm like, man, I wish I could have made her my business partner, but her husband's in the military. So she had to relocate. Um, but like, I, I would love to have like a physical piece of land that was mine where I could establish like a bee sanctuary for native bees as an example to people as well, um, of what they can do in their yards. And then a place where I can like bring people, um, and host, host more events and host more like, um, experiences for people who are coming from outside of San Diego, because right now I have this like worldwide following and I'm like, Oh, wouldn't it be so cool if we could do, um, you know, like a, a bee camp or something like that. Um, yeah. So I would love to have something like that, but that that's obviously expensive and a lot of work. And here I am like just struggling to make my own yard look the way I want it to, you know, (laughs) just struggling with my own projects already. So. Well, I will say Hillary says that she's struggling. If you follow her on Instagram, you know (laughs) that it's amazing. The things that you and your husband have accomplished. He is always doing things. (laughs) We can't stop. (laughs) You can't stop. There's always projects going on. You know, as an entrepreneur, you seem you're a self-starter. You're extremely creative. You have a great support system with your relationship that helps you move forward. What, what keeps you motivated? Like, what are your daily habits? I understand like those, the projects, like the laundry room or whatever can like chew on your brain and like really get at you. But what are some of the things that, that you're building every day, the habits and the skill sets that you're building every day to be better? Um, so I think for me, you know, I started out just like burning the candle at both ends and just like grinding and saying yes to everything. And I do think that you kind of have to do that as a new entrepreneur. You have to like just push yourself really hard and say yes to everything um, to get yourself out there and get the exposure. But then at a certain point, you have to start working smarter, not harder, <laughs> and really pull back and start looking at what direction you want to go in. And, and that's something that I don't think ever ends. So you're always kind of like pulling back and reassessing, is this really profitable? Should I keep doing this? Does this really make sense? But for me, like, you know, I think you said in the beginning, like I do what I want. (laughs) And that is a big part of the benefit of being, um, employed, self-employed is you get to do what you want. And if you have a crappy customer, you get to say, I don't want to work with you. Um, you know, so like for me, I've been really focusing lately on just trying to pull back and reflect and make space for the things that I want to do. And for myself, because there's, you can't just like grind like that all the time. You're going to get burnt out. So I think that's going to be like an ever evolving journey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you're, you're co-creating life right now. So that, that is a project yeah. itself that you're going to be working on. <laughs> I did get a business mentor and that really helped me because, um, she like helped me see the things that I needed to do. Like she just helps guide me so much. And like, I would tell her like my daily routine. I'm like, okay, in the mornings, like I'll just lay in bed for an hour and a half um, answering emails, scheduling things and like posting on Instagram or whatever. 
And like, I don't know. I just, I, you know, I would like, I was like guilting myself over that. Like I, like I wasn't working. I was laying in bed. She was like, what are you talking about? That is working. You wake up and you're instantly working. Yeah. Um, so she's like, give yourself permission to do it. If that's what you want to do and make sure you're calling it the right thing. So just um, like reflecting on your habits and labeling them correctly, I think helps because I think there's a lot of guilt that goes on where you're like, oh, I didn't do enough today or, you know, you feel whatever, however you're going to feel. But then when you talk to somebody else, they're like, you know, I'll talk to Tim, um, mm-hmm. my husband, and he'll be like, what are you talking about? You did nothing today. You did a podcast interview. You you planted <laughs> stuff in the garden and you caught a swarm. What are you, t- you know, <laughs> like, but I will, I will actually like do a bunch of stuff. And then in my head, I'm like, I didn't do enough today. Um, so I think having somebody to like, help you, um, see things and then making the time to reflect like whatever that looks like doing yoga or going on a walk or making that space to like think away from your screens and everything, um, so that you can get like clarity. (laughs) It's really important. You got to like cultivate your garden in other ways than beekeeping. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what, so you, I'm assuming you have a small ecological, your business has a small ecological footprint um, in terms of negative impact because the very nature of your business is to improve the environment. Walk us through some of the big and small ways that you take care of the earth other than beekeeping. Um, well, we're composting. <laughs> That's a big deal. You mean in relation to my business? I mean, just in, I mean, because you are your, you are your business. So yeah. what are you, what are you doing, um, to, in both things like at home and maybe on the drive or in your business operations to be more sustainable? Well, one of the things that is part of my business that isn't that ecologically friendly is that I drive a lot of places. And I often like lament that we don't have very good public transportation in San Diego. But then I think about how, even if we did, I wouldn't be able to use it. I can't like go on the public transit with a swarm of bees and a bunch of bee boxes, (laughs) you know, I would still drive. Um, so, so I do drive a Prius. Um, my husband recently got a, we got him an electric car so that his commute is at least, um, electric. And then we use that whenever we can for errands and stuff. Um, we're composting. I've got um, a garden. So we're trying to grow our own food and um, reduce that footprint there at least. And then um, not using pesticides, stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that, you know, I, I tr- kind of struggle with is like when you're making a product, you know, it's that has an impact. So like weighing the pros and cons of that, like trying to use less packaging. So, um, when, you know, like not having things plastic wrapped, um, that drives me nuts. Like when you buy something and it's like wrapped in plastic, wrapped in plastic and plastic, like why do we need four layers of plastic, um, <laughs> for this one thing? So I try to, I try to use paper packaging instead of plastic. And I try not to use any excessive packaging. So like my games are not, um, they're not wrapped in plastic. They're just shipped in an envelope, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, which is like, it hasn't been a problem yet. Um, so sometimes I worry about that. Like people, are people going to think it's unprofessional? I don't know, but it's like, I will, for example, like the card matter. 
I don't know. Yeah, I think it's part of your brand. I mean, we have um, one of our, um, you know, we'll call it kind of a partner, a colleague, Mavis. Um, She does handbags. And part of her brand is reusing old Amazon boxes to ship her handbags in. And she just tells people, that's what I do. I reuse everything to ship it. So I think as long as you're, you know, you're talking about it and being like, I've, I've consciously made this decision to not ship it with plastic. It's not like out of laziness or like you haven't thought about it. It's like, no, I've, I've actually thought about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's weird though, because there are some things that just won't sell if they're not packaged. So like, for example, I had this like B magnet set and I tried to just sell it like loose bulk, like here are the B magnets in an envelope. Um, but when I arranged them on a little printed piece of paper that says B magnets, then people were like, Oh, I'm going to buy this, you know, um, versus like having it in an <laughs> So like, packaging, it's such a, it's such a tricky dance. Cause I'm like, Oh, I hate that I have to do this, but it's the only way it'll sell. So there's some mm-hmm. things. Well, I think but, yeah. not to go off on a tangent on plastic, but while we're here, <laughs> Is that with plastic and and COVID, I think I was like, oh, I feel like we're making so much progress in sustainable um, packaging. And now I think with COVID and the virus and the risk of spreading the virus, that there's going to be a setback. And even like, for example, at my local, uh, my Whole Foods, they had the buy bulk cookies and now each of them are all individually wrapped in plastic. And I'm like, oh, like, like, and love What's that? And the gloves and the masks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. And the wipes. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about that, too, and it, it just bums me out. Like, one thing I'm super conflicted about is for my beekeeping, I actually use nitrile gloves. And I try to – they're disposable, and I try to reuse them for as long as I can. But I had to switch to them. I used to wear leather, and I had to switch to them because I kept getting infections in my nails um, from being in these leather gloves all day and like sweating and dirtiness. And, and I'm also kind of like a bee doctor cause I'm going into different hives and you can, um, move bad things from one hive to another if you're using the same gloves. So now it's like, oh man, I hate that I'm like using all these disposable gloves, but sometimes it's just like, you just have to. <laughs> yeah. You're making a conscious choice. You're, you're lowering your impact in other ways. I mean, composting in itself is quite an effort and an art and, you know, home gardening and feeding yourself is an effort and an art. And the amount of carbon emissions that you're reducing by using electric vehicles and also reducing the footprint of your food system is, it's a, it's a big deal. So I'm sure if you were, you know, tracking and reporting your sustainability metrics, you'd be just fine. But it's funny because there's like, you want to do these things personally. And then you like think of the corporations that are just like, like, that's what we really need to change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, why am I feeling guilty about making like 20 gloves a day? You know, like when there's, when there's Amazon, you know, right. A pillow like padded with like <laughs> plastic, like air bubbles. Yeah. In it, like, like a, like a huge box for just like the tiniest little thing that you like order. The Russian nesting dolls. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let this be a lesson to people developing consumer products. You have to really be thoughtful and strategic about your packaging and your supply chain because it all matters. And like thinking about Amazon and stuff, we can't really do much change other other than voting with our wallet. 
and leading leading by example, the old adage uh, that's, you know, probably dry at this point, but it's, you're, you're doing the thing by being a pioneer and doing what you can and not being lazy, even though you're in bed doing work, that's not lazy. (laughs) (laughs) You're leading change. I mean, you've written these books that I wanted to pop up and show everybody. This was the first one, right? Queen spotting. Yeah. And it's awesome. Oh, you wrote in it for me. Thank you. (laughs) I highly recommend everybody check it out. I've been buying it and giving it as gifts. Like um, my uh, Dr. Ben is a big B fan. And after I was with him for a little bit, I bought him both Queen Spotting and the Little Book of Bees. And he like, he was like, (laughs) like, really, really, really loved it. And I bought it for all my nieces and my nephews. And I just have to tell you, like, like, did you do all these things? Is this you? No, I didn't illustrate them. No, I, you didn't illustrate I dictated what I wanted illustrated, though. And okay. I, I sent, like, all the photo references. But it's a different – it's an illustrator. Well, the photos – I mean, you did these, didn't you? Yeah. So all the photos in there, except for the ones that I'm in, wow. are pretty much mine. So you didn't clone yourself and do this one, but no. – <laughs> But very, very talented photographer took beautiful pictures of me. Like, is that one yours? That one's mine, yeah. That is magnificent. Yeah, I love that she has the little piece in her mouth. That's a new bee chewing her way out of the cell. So she's just finished pupating, and now she's coming out as an adult. That's cool. They're just, like, magnificent um, photos. I sound like a stalker, Hillary. I'm not. <laughs> but I, I wanted to find one with the pollen pants because I've seen a couple bees with pollen pants on it. And my husband, the other day we, we had a dead one in our trunk. I don't, we don't really know how it died. But I looked at it, I was like, oh, no, James, is, is that one dead? And he poked and he goes, oh, it's dead. And it has her pollen pants. <laughs> <laughs> is that when they carry the pollen on their legs? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I have a great picture of one of those. I mean, really when they die with their pollen pants on because you know they work so hard to like get all that <laughs> pollen and then they didn't make it back to the hive Aww. that's, that's sad. so sad <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll see um i was gonna say we're we're close to wrapping up but we have some we have some live viewers so if anyone wants to comment um any or i'm sorry ask any questions right in the comment section and we can ask hillary um to answer any on the spot but yeah, this has been so informative. I've, I mean, I'm sure this is, I was obviously it's your career. I was like, I could talk about bees all day and I know <laughs> nothing about them. I thought I knew something. And then talking to you, I'm like, nope, nope, didn't know anything. <laughs> There's just so much to know. Yeah. It's really cool. It's interesting to think about, Oh, those are cool. Is that oh, you? Hillary? Did you do this one? Uh-huh. Gosh. I mean, if you just like, like, do you use a norm? What camera do you use to capture these things? Um, that one was with a, like a Canon Rebel um, yeah. SLR. It wasn't, it's not even that nice of a camera, to be honest. But, you know, it's, it's not even about the camera type. People ask me that a lot. And it's like, it's about practice, um, practicing. Bees are different to photograph because they're, they're, they have different lighting needs and they're, um, they're so small. So, um, there's just certain things you have to do differently when photographing bees. So you might be excellent. Like I've worked with other like photographers and videographers that were great at capturing 
pretty much everything else. But then when you ask them to capture bees, I'm like, that looks terrible. <laughs> I'm <in> focus, <laughs> you know, um, that one has pollen pants, right? Yeah. Those are pollen pants. The little orange blobs on her. Oh yeah. Yeah. I see that now. Can you repeat the title, Laurel? This is Queen, queen spotting. spotting. I was thinking Queen Bee, and I'm like, that's not right. I think there's a lot of fun hashtags for bees, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, while people are, are coming up with questions, how can people join your colony, and what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, so probably the most active place that I am is on Instagram, because I'm posting there every day and putting stories up and stuff. Um, I'm also on Facebook and then I have an email subscriber list. So if you go to my, my website, um, that'll keep you up to date subscribing to emails. I don't send out that many, but like, I'll send out, like, if you want to come to an event, you want to know when I'm going to be speaking or if there's a beehive tour coming up, obviously we don't know when that will be happening again, but, (laughs) um, but you'll get an email about it. And like when I make something new, when I make a new game or whatever, and it launches, I'll send an email. Cool. Well, this has been wonderful, informative. Thank you so much for sharing your time. We know you're very high demand. Buy Hillary's books at her website, girlnextdoorhoney.com. Find her on Instagram at girlnextdoorhoney. You have an awesome Instagram. I just started following it. I'm embarrassed to say that, but I was like, oh, because I feel like I'm like dialed into things. And then I'm like, no, I guess not everything. Um, So yeah, I'll do our our, uh, three-point landing with our three key takeaways for our guests. Um, so I guess the takeaway would be honeybees don't need our help. (laughs) Native bees do. Mm. Um, Best way to help native bees is to plant native flowers. And if you are an entrepreneur, make time to reflect. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much. Was there anything else that you wanted to leave us with or are we going to leave it with reflect? Mm. Um, well, if anyone wants to learn beekeeping, if that if this has like sparked your interest, I do have online classes right now. So you can actually get started right now. Um, and those are streaming and you can find them on my website. So if anyone's like, ooh, I got to do this, um, that's a good way to get started. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> I will see you there. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Hillary. And send it, Jessa. Thanks for listening and visit astellar.co. That's A-S-T-E-L-L-A-R.co for reference materials from the podcast and to connect with Jessa and Laurel. Foxhole Studios specializes in audio production and can work remotely to meet your audiovisual needs whether you live in San Diego or not. Getting a podcast started? Contact the team at info at foxholestudios.com for any and all inquiries.